Hi, this is Jennifer Wisdom, author of Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Jennifer Wisdom. Jennifer's mission is to help curious, mission-driven professionals to achieve their highest potential by identifying goals and then providing them with the roadmap and guidance to reach those goals. She pursued a career in academia and now serves through writing, speaking, and consulting in her area of expertise. Jennifer lives in New York City and is here to talk about her book, Millennial's Guide to Management and Leadership as a Leader. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. It's great to have you with me. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I have to say my mom was a single mom at a time before it was very popular, and she really hustled to work her way up through management in her company, as well as to provide some really meaningful experiences for my brother and me. She's just really amazing. We still joke about organizational stuff where she can get things done faster than anybody I know. I'm so relieved the apple didn't fall far from the tree here. That's great. Now, your mom gave an example of how to get things done and be super organized, I'm sure, bringing you and and one other brother up. Early in your career, Jennifer, can you think of a time you were faced with a challenge and some of your mother's example carried through and encouraged you to make a decision or have a conversation with someone in a way that wouldn't have happened without her influence? Absolutely. So I had a non-traditional educational experience, or at least it started that way. I joined the army right out of high school because I didn't have money for college and and ended up being a photojournalist in the army. I had to make a choice as I was finishing my bachelor's degree. Did I want to stay in the army and continue to be a journalist or did I want to get out and go to grad school? I could hear my mom's voice in my head, sometimes literally when I asked her, but I definitely heard her voice saying, you can do anything you want to do, make a plan and hop to it. I could just hear that over and over. So I decided rather than staying with what I knew and enjoyed to a great extent being a journalist, I decided to get out and go to graduate school. No one in my family had been to graduate school before. I'm first generation to complete a bachelor's degree. So going into this totally new world for me and just finding the right people, staying organized, making a plan to learn everything I can about the process and the information itself in graduate school, I've continued to do that. And I have no regrets about that path. And it's all thanks to her. That's wonderful. You write about millennials. Why is that an important group to focus on? The short answer is that millennials are our future. Currently, millennials, these are people who came of age around the turn of the century. They are currently 20 to 40-ish. These are some of the first digital native generation, and they are poised to take on the world. They are currently such a large portion of the workforce, and certainly those on the older edge of millennials are in management and leadership activities. So even though there are a lot of structural and kind of controversy around whether millennials are or are not entitled or greedy or whatever, like all kinds of perspectives around that. I think having the millennials, the next group to take on the world makes them absolutely critical to be a topic for this. Many of the managers I speak with these days tell me that they love working with millennials because they're so adept at technology. And a common misunderstanding or mischaracterization of millennials, and maybe a misunderstanding of how professional development works, is that a manager will say to me, Bill, I don't understand why millennials need to be trained or coached or 
or mentored, they have such facility with their iPhones and ability to research things on the web, they can learn practically anything they need just by looking it up. How would you respond to someone making a statement like that? That's a wonderful observation. We all know there are plenty of things that you can learn from the internet. There are also things you probably shouldn't learn from the internet and things where the internet's only going to take you so far. Like, for example, parenting. There's only so much you can pick up from Google on parenting. What millennials are really interested in, this is what they tell me. Um, thinking of a friend of mine, Sarah, who's about 30 years old and she works in a media company. She came to me really upset because her boss had not met with her. She'd been at the job for two months already. She was so distressed. Have I done something wrong? Did he not really want to hire me? What's going on? They want that human connection. They really want someone who can help. What I've seen, which is probably similar to what you've seen, Bill, is that it's not the content of our job that ends up being the challenging part. It's not the accounting or the writing or the manufacturing or whatever. It's the interpersonal relationship. It's figuring out how does this organization work? What's my role in it? It's figuring out how to deal with a jerk that you work with or work for. It's figuring out how do I get ahead? How do I make decisions around the next step in my life? So those are the hard parts. And those are things that the internet will only get you so far. And having that personal connection is the best way to help a young person or to get that information if you are a young person to move forward. Jennifer, you've observed this, you've studied it. What was the genesis of the book? Was there a moment when you were coaching a millennial, you were helping a manager, and you just said, I'm repeating myself for the umpteenth time this week. It's only Tuesday at 10 a.m. I've got to put this down in a book. What was the moment in your life when you said, it's got to be made into a book and I'm the one to do it? I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. I had been meeting with a group of friends who are all millennials, and I'm a little older than millennial. I became their go-to person for work challenges. And we all meet every couple months. And one of my friends was asking me about a work situation. Her name is Jenna. She works at a financial company, large company, trying to figure out how to get ahead and what to do. So she asked me a question around one of her colleagues. And I, I, I made the wrong answer. I said an answer related to a manager. If you're going to become a manager, here's how to deal with that person. She looked at me and was just exasperated and said, I don't want to become a manager or leader. I just want to know how to work with this jerk who sits next to me. I thought, oh, sometimes not everybody wants to be a manager or leader. That's totally fine. She does now. She is now a manager. She does amazing things right now. But I think at the time that just made me think, ah, I'm focused on one thing. They need to hear another. They need practical, empowering advice for whatever direction they want to go in. Whether it's they want to clock in and clock out, great. If they want to become manager or next CEO, great. Anything in between, great. How do I help people identify what their values are and what they want and then help them wherever they're at and wherever they want to go? I hope that the other managers and leaders listening to this interview are realizing that there isn't just one path forward for the people working with them, their colleagues who might be millennials. There are many different paths. There are many different ways of satisfying that need for development and inclusion that are satisfying without being something that was expected. The only way to find that out is through conversation. What are some of the barriers that you find that millennials are surprised by when they get, when their managers and colleagues who are not millennials reach out to them in ways and don't find that there's a good two-way channel? Absolutely. I think sometimes millennials and others as well can be surprised when they're given an opportunity. They don't know how to handle the opportunity. So they don't know how to recognize it and then be able to work with it. One example is a colleague that I work with in some ways, and we're also friends. I had an opportunity for him to take over the role in this organization that we're doing. I lead the conversation. He works in a social service organization, and we all go to 
this collaborative event for people for mentorship. And I said, listen, I'm not going to be able to be there for the whole conversation. Could you lead the conversation? Jerry was so surprised and not really sure how to react to that. Why are you asking me? And I'm thinking, just say yes, it'll be fine. Another example is when people try to network, try to help young people, and again, older people as well, but particularly millennials network and say, oh, Bill, you work in media. I know this person. It would be great for you to meet. And about half the time, they don't follow up. I think, oh, what a, what a shame, because not only has that now kept them from meeting the person I think they should meet, but it also in some way can potentially harm their relationship with me. It makes me think that they don't care what I'm doing and they don't know how to introduce themselves and say, hey, Jennifer Wisdom said I should meet with you because we're both in media. Can we set up a time to talk and to work through that process? I think not recognizing those opportunities is a really key challenge. The other part is when people feel like they're not being given opportunities. And sometimes these are happening at the same time. So they're not seeing the chances that are there. They're also upset because they feel like they're not getting any opportunity. So I'm thinking of a manager named Jerry who works in telecommunications quite frequently says the millennials on my team won't pick up the damn phone. He says, I send them an email and say, I'm going to call you at this time. I get voicemail and they text me back like seconds later. Or I say, would you reach out to this person, have a conversation about this and find out these three things? And they send them an email. And he says, I could have sent them the email. I want them to build the relationship. I think part of it is that they're used to talking with their peers where they would text each other and that is fine. There's also an underestimate of how much relationships will get you ahead in your job. I don't mean schmoozing or kissing up to somebody. I don't mean that. Relationships between people. So I I have another colleague that I have named Anders. I, I asked her the same thing. Could you please call this person and do this? She emailed them and then got an email back. I said, did you talk to them or did you email them? I just emailed them. So what I said is what I would recommend the managers that you're talking about. It's not just about getting the information. It's about building the relationship. I always say, I want you to be happy and successful here. Part of being happy and successful here is building the relationships with the people who help keep the business going. So could you go talk to this person, walk down to their office or wherever and ask them a question again, just work on being nice and building a relationship. It may seem like it's nothing, but it's really important. Sometimes millennials and Gen Zs and sometimes Gen Xs need that explicit explanation of this is why I'm asking you to do it and do it this way because there's an ulterior motive here and I want you to be happy and successful. I love that you're using the phrase happy and successful because it's something that a manager listening to this could easily adopt. And then to recognize that it's not about your frustration as a manager that you have to add this phrase. It's your desire to be effective. Being able to use this phrase gets you to your goal of being effective, supportive, and helping one of the people on your team develop. That's really what we're after. Absolutely. So I'll tell you the second part of that conversation, which is especially when there's any kind of a performance challenge, I will say, and I've used this all the time, I want you to be happy and successful. Ideally, happy and successful here. If not, I will help you be happy and successful somewhere else. But if you're not happy, this isn't working well for you. If you're not successful, and meaning in parentheses, the things that I'm asking you to do as your boss and and fitting in with the culture and everything else, if you're not successful here, that's a problem too. For many people, when I have this conversation, they're shocked at a number of levels. One is that I even am thinking about their happiness. And second, that I really want them, I will help them be happy and successful. If it's not working out, just tell me. I will happily write you a letter of recommendation. And I've had the conversation with people around. They say, you know what? I can do the work or I don't want to do the work. I don't like it here. I'm not happy. Okay, let's talk about what you need. How would a two-month transition period work? Will that give you enough time to do what you need to do, et cetera? They're shocked because I guess they expect 
expected me to be mad at them or something. I'm not mad. I want you to be happy and successful. I say that over and over again to where a lot of the people that I work with, they know as soon as I say, I want you to be happy and they say, and successful, we know. But I think that's one of my go-to phrases would be really helpful for managers to consider. I'll add the caveat that if they're only considering how successful the employee is by their standards, they're missing out on retaining really valuable millennials and really valuable people. Because as a manager, the times are past, like 60 years past, when we could just view our employees as people who produce work for us and that's it. We want them to be happy. They can be terribly, they can be incredibly successful. If they're not happy, they're not going to stay. And you're not going to get as much good stuff and creativity and ideas from them as you would. Like it's in your interest as the boss for them to be happy as well. Of course, it's in their interest too. Absolutely. Jennifer, here we are in October of 2021 having just been through what's been called the Great Resignation over the summer. In August of 2021, more people resigned than in any other period of history in the last 30 years, I think. It's because they have these options. The shift to working from home has given flexibility to a lot of white-collar professionals. What are some of the different skills and professional development insights that millennials that you work with are asking for because they're at the top of their priority list in order to advance within the company, not to leave the company, but what are they asking for so that people could at least initiate those conversations and check with their colleagues to see if that's something that's important at their workplace? Absolutely top of the list. They want to know they're making a difference. And it's so simple and so easy to do to say, thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing. You're really making a difference. Yet most of my colleagues and certainly the clients that I work with almost never say it. They're shocked when I suggest after you have a conversation with your employee, thank them. They say, oh, I've never done that. A friend of a client and colleague of mine, Nancy, she works at a big healthcare organization and she had a a staff member who was just having some adjustment challenges to having Nancy as her boss. Nancy was asking me how to handle this difficult conversation with an employee who never really received feedback about her performance. When I suggested to Nancy that she say thank you, she was so taken aback. But then about a week later, she called me back and said, you are not going to believe what a difference that made. It was a challenging conversation. And then at the end, when I said, just like you advise. Thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate that you're willing to have this awkward conversation with me. I really look forward to working together. She said she perked up and she was like a different person. It's so easy. And certainly Gen Xers or baby boomers can say, no one ever told me that. We shouldn't have to say that. Maybe, maybe no one ever told you that, but does it hurt? It would have been nice if people told us that. I wasn't regularly told that, but it's nice. Who cares whether you should have to or not? If it makes your workplace better, if it makes everybody happier, and I can tell you, it makes me happier to say how much I appreciate my staff or other people. If it makes us all happier, what's the harm? What you're talking about illustrates the fact that everyone is responsible for the culture of a workplace. It's not just HR. It's not just the leader. Related to what people are looking for, to know they're making a difference and to know they have an impact. The worst thing and what people really hate and why they want to leave is because they feel like they're not making a difference. They're having no impact. It's a terrible culture. They're not able to make it. That's really sad. And that's unfortunate because everybody can make a change. Even in a dyad, just you and one other person you're working with, you can actively change that culture and then make it a triad and then keep it going and the whole division and keep going. Make it one person can make so much change. You don't need permission from anyone to do that. You could just simply decide. You don't have to say, can I have the title now of doing that? Absolutely. You can choose that. I don't like this competitive environment. I'm going to be collaborative. You can say, I don't like the way that people are snippy with 
each other, I'm going to choose to be polite and diplomatic and nice to everybody. It's not going to change overnight. And you're certainly not going to change everybody all at once, but that'll make a difference. Setting expectations is really important for yourself. The change that you make, you'll feel better. And over time, you may notice other things, but do it because you'll feel better. That's enough to start. Have you had experiences working with people who've had trouble dealing with video conferences or Zoom calls, and they were able to implement a few changes to their language or their process, or even just showing up early, and that changed people's attitudes towards them? Absolutely. I'm thinking of a staff member I had early in the pandemic who did not like being on camera. Her name was Yvonne. She was a scientist, which is great. And she was in a senior role, but she didn't realize how much it hurt her relationship with the more junior people on the study by refusing to show her face. We're all stuck at home. Half people were wearing pajama bottoms. Like we get it. You don't have to look perfect. Nobody's judging it. But when I had to pull my manager chops in and say, look, you need to be showing your face. Her relationship got better so much faster. People would say, oh, it seems like Yvonne's participating more. She wasn't saying anything different. It's just that they could see her face and feel that connection, especially for people who started during the pandemic when everything was video-based. It's really hard to build those relationships. And millennials in particular and Gen Z, they want relationships at work. So true. There's part of it of looking like you're participating and not being afraid of how you look or what the background is. People don't need an Instagram perfect background. It's just a matter of we're all in this together. It's showing that you're participating and have that vulnerability and thinking to yourself, look, I'm, I'm looking to set an example, even if you're the newest employee there. Isn't that true that people need to have that sense of confidence and say, you know what? So you might see a, a pile of dirty clothes in behind in their bedroom or something like that. I think that confidence of being willing to be seen on screen is helpful in a lot of ways, not just building relationships, but helping you be a part of the team and, and move things forward. At the same time, move things forward. Most video conferencing software like Zoom or Teams, they have an option to blur your background. If you don't want to clean your room, just blur your background or put a picture of the beach behind you. Then everyone can joke. One of my colleagues had a client where I work for all of our weekly meetings every week. The question is, what kind of background is Brent going to have today? He's a human resources expert. And sometimes he'll put up something silly. Sometimes it'll be something more serious. Sometimes it's something HR related, sometimes not. But he's been able to improve his relationship with people during the pandemic because he always has a funky background. You don't have to do that. You can just have the beach all the time. If nothing else, it's a conversation starter. Is there anything that millennials need to do to be better prepared, given the fact that they're familiar with technology? Is there anything that they need to do to be better prepared for fully participating in work, whether it's remote or whether it starts to change back to meeting in offices. Some of them, as you mentioned earlier, haven't worked in an office with their colleagues yet. They were hired within the last year and a half. What do they need to be thinking about when the first meeting is called? Because I imagine that could produce some anxiety for them. So first is I want to say not all millennials are technologically very savvy. In fact, I've heard from quite a few millennials who say, I don't know why people think I know how to do this stuff. So it's the equivalent for our Gen Xers of being able to program the VCR. Just because we're the youngest person in the room doesn't mean we know how to program the VCR. Same thing for them. So first is hold on the assumptions part. The second is for any millennials concerned about going back to work or building relationships, I joke about try to be normal, pretend to be normal, just pretend we're not in a pandemic and everything's not crazy. And we're not all completely anxious, just chit chat with people talk about Oh, I like the Rubik's cubes in the background. Looks like you've got a lot of books on your shelf. What are you reading showing up at a meeting a couple minutes early and being able to 
to chat with people will make all the difference in the world. Even if it feels awkward at the time, the fact that you're reaching out to someone and having a small talk and having a short conversation will help build a relationship and help them see you as someone who's friendly. Again, even if you're feeling nervous inside, that's okay. The same works in person. You show up two minutes early and somebody's already there and you say, wow, that's a big cup of coffee. That's awesome. I love my morning coffee too. It's the silly stuff. Sometimes we hate small talk, but it's part of what builds relationships. That's such a great reminder. Jennifer, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I am. At the beginning of the conversation, I asked you about someone who influenced or inspired you and you talked about what a, a great influence your mother was. When when you were a teenager, Jennifer, what's a song that you loved? Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. My own personal Jesus. I don't remember now, but I had it on repeat on one of those small cassettes that just had remixes. My friends were sick of hearing that song. Is there a tool or system you use to stay on track and productive day in and day out? To-do lists are my go-to. I love lists. I have paper lists. I have a whiteboard. I track everything and I keep crossing things off on my list. I have a whole way that I manage my calendar. Yeah, lists are my go-to. What would you say is the best advice you ever received? This too shall pass. My colleague Carla, who is a sociologist and just an all-around amazing person who left science. When she retired from science, she decided to become a shepherd and she raises sheep. I can hear her say 20, it was 20 years ago, but it feels like yesterday. This too shall pass. Whatever it is that stinks, it's going to pass. Whatever it is that's amazing, it's going to pass too. It's okay. The world keeps revolving. Exactly. Jennifer, what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made recently? My tea kettle, slightly under $100, but my tea kettle to heat up water quickly for tea. I was spending a lot of time back and forth to the kettle on the stove and just having an electric one. It's made all the difference. Complete this prompt for me. I know I'm being successful when... That's a good one. I know I'm being successful when people tell me I made a difference. That's whether it's the consulting work that I do, whether it's the books, and they don't have to say you made a difference in my life, but hearing something like, I thought about what you said and it made me see things differently. They're like, that's the best joy for me. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Checking the news first thing in the morning. That you- was, instead, I just get up and work out or I put music. I can't do the news channels. I never could watch TV in the morning, but even the like radio news or internet news or checking CNN or whatever, I, I can't do it first thing in the morning. It just gets my day not great. Gets it started not. That's fabulous that you can compare that and say, I choose the better way to start rather than people who don't ever step out and experiment with that. I realized I would wake up and then spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes scrolling through all the different inter- internet sources. I don't know, hoping for something different, but I would just end up getting more and more ticked off. A lot of things happened in the last year that'll tick people off. And then 30 or 45 minutes later, I'm dragging out of bed and ticked off. That's not good. So now I don't always jump right out of bed, but within five minutes, I turn the music on. It gets me going. I feel positive. I feel motivated. And it's a much better start. I love that. I hope that everyone listening realizes and recognizes the choice that you have to proactively program your environment and your day so you could get off on the right foot rather than be grumpy before your feet even hit the floor. Who needs that? Exactly. There's so many choices. Jennifer, what is it that people who are millennials or Gen Z need to recognize about careers when they're in their first five years of a job, whether it's their first job or second job? What do they need to recognize that's their responsibility that no one's ever told them? One is your career is up to you. You can't rely on your boss or mentor or whoever to open all the doors for you or do everything for you. When you have someone who helps you, that's amazing. But your career is
is up to you. The second part is related. The road is long. God willing, we all have many things we can do. I've certainly had multiple careers myself. And whatever you're doing when you're 24 or 34 or 44 doesn't mean that's what you need to be doing forever. Jennifer, you've shared so many words of wisdom today on my quest for the best. And I want to thank you for starting off and telling us what a a go-getter your mom was and how that inspired you, thinking about your career early on, and the ways that you've made a difference in helping millennials and Gen Z, people who are part of those, those groups, be able to see that there are differences and opportunities that are there for the taking, that by adopting some of these approaches, that they could be more happy They could be happier and more successful in their work. And for the people listening who are mentoring and who are their colleagues to realize that by meeting them a little bit more than halfway and really looking to have their best interests in heart, even if no one ever did that for them, it makes for a better workplace because we're all responsible for creating that type of culture. So for these and many more reasons... Jennifer Wisdom, author of Millennial's Guide to Management and Leadership, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Jennifer, before we say goodbye for now, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Absolutely. So the Millennials Guides books are at millennialsguides.com. We have all the books and there've been quite a few now. I think we're up to seven or eight books now with plenty more coming out in 2022. Then my consulting work is at leadwithwisdom.com. And I tend to work with healthcare, higher education, and nonprofits to help people create better workplaces and be more. We will link to your website, as well as your social media, as well as all the other ways to buy your books and keep up with what's going on in the world of millennials to become better managers and leaders. So once again, Jennifer Wisdom, author of Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership, what no one ever told you about how to excel as a leader. Thank you again for joining me on my quest for the best. Pleasure. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.